Coming off to 13 years ago, Elizabeth and I went on our honeymoon uh, to Egypt. And I was a student at the time, so clearly we didn't pay for it. Uh, someone bought it as a gift. And on our hit list of things to do when we were going to Egypt, of course, was to go to Mount Sinai, uh, which we did. We got a, well, it wasn't a day trip because it was in the evening, an evening trip to, um, to Mount Sinai, left uh, at dusk. Got a coach with a lot of other people, uh, ended up at the, the base of Mount Sinai, and then through the night, we trekked up to the top. And the plan was to get there so we could see the sunrise across Egypt, which was incredible. So, you know, a few hours we were trekking up through the night, and it was an arduous uh, climb. We got up to the top, and um, so back then, 13 years ago, if you wanted to record something, you had something called a camcorder. You know what they are? So we were carrying this brick up to the top and uh, we settled down with maybe about 100 other people to watch the sunrise at the top. Elizabeth got her camcorder ready and as she opened, it started flashing that battery sign. And uh, before the sun rose, the battery died on the camcorder. We didn't have phones back then. Well, we did, but they just rang people. I mean, how weird is that? You couldn't record anything on your phone. So we were reduced really to just watching the sunrise with our own eyes and just enjoying it, the two of us. And in hindsight, that was the best way to enjoy it. Fascinating, uh, Elizabeth and I, along with maybe a hundred other people, sitting one of the highest points in Egypt, looking out across hundreds of miles of desert in the dark and then slowly seeing just this orange crest kind of come up over the horizon. As it came up, everyone went silent on the top of the mountain. And they were just struck in awe of the beauty of what was going on around them. I mean, I'm almost certain not everyone there was, was a Christian. Obviously, we, we were, and there was a sense of um, awe and wonder at what we were seeing, but also just excitedness that we were standing in the same place that probably Moses stood and, and heard the Lord as we we're going to see in Exodus chapter 19 this afternoon. But there was a sense of just, with everyone, everyone was just awestruck at what they were seeing. It was this literally mountaintop experience. And there was a sense of whether you were a Christian or not, a real sense of just something transcendent going on, something almost spiritual going on. And actually you see that if you um, are into mountaineering things on Netflix, like I am, it's a bit of a weird uh, passion of mine, Everest expeditions and K2 expeditions, things like that. You'll see actually that those mountains over in Asia, they're, they're treated as, as gods in themselves. Like the, the Sherpas who will take you up the mountains have all sorts of sacred rituals that you have to undertake before you're allowed to step foot on the mountain because they believe that, that the mountain itself, not just the whole experience is spiritual, but the, but the mountain itself is a god. And so they have this real sense of, of uh, just a spiritual experience as they approach these incredible awe-inspiring mountains. And actually, it's interesting when you look in Scripture, there is something about mountains that draws us towards seeing something of God. So often through the Old Testament and uh, maybe more subtly through the New Testament, we see mountains or, or, or kind of hills as a way of the writers pointing us towards something about either God's character or God himself. So we'll often hear you know, this kind of maybe either spoken or unspoken question through the Old Testament, who can ascend the hill of the Lord. Have you heard that? Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? You hear this phrase of, of God's mount. We've sung some of those truths already. 
There is a sense of godness or just something that draws us and to see the awesomeness of, of God as we come across mountains, not just in creation, but as we come across them in Scripture. As we come to Exodus 19, we find God's people at the foot of Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is going to dominate the narrative for the rest of the Exodus here. But we're going to see here as they come to Mount Sinai, as they come to this mountain, it is synonymous. It is drawing them into the presence of God. And not just a sense of the presence of God, the actual presence of God. God is literally going to meet them at this mountain. And if you remember a few weeks back when we had a look at the geography of what's going on in the story, God is so determined that that his people will enjoy his presence and and experience his presence that he literally draws them away from Canaan, the the promised land. So if you remember, um, Egypt is is away in in the west, Canaan, the promised land, this place of uh, a land flowing with milk and honey, this place of promised rest is away in the east. And you could draw a straight line between the two, but Sinai is down here at the bottom. And God brings them all the way down away from Canaan to Sinai because he so desperately wants them to experience all of the goodness that comes from being in his presence. They could easily have just hot-footed straight across. But God says, no, I want, you to, I want you to be with me. I want you to know what it's like to be in my presence. I want you to experience the awesomeness of being in the presence of the living God. And so I'm going to bring you all the way down here and you're going to sit here probably for a year if they're at the foot of Mount Sinai, experiencing the tangible presence of God. Now, folks, as we prepare to come here this afternoon to be in the presence of God, because that is what's happening here, I wonder what went through your minds. I wonder how many of us just stumbled in through those doors this afternoon without a thought. I wonder how many of you maybe are sitting there thinking, okay, how long is Neil going before this afternoon or other things that I need to do I wonder how many of us are just too tired to be here or feel like we just have to be here because it's duty I wonder how many of us honestly are sitting here even as I'm talking bored and the reality is as God's people gather together he is present and the God who was present this afternoon there's no difference to the God that we're going to hear of who meets his people on Mount Sinai. See, the gathering of God's people, folks, 4 p.m. on Sunday afternoon on Livingston Drive, this kind of local expression of the gathering of God's people is central to the mission of God's people. Isn't that the thread that we've been seeing? And we're going to see it even more in the next couple of weeks as we look at the Ten Commandments. God, remember, has called his people to himself. He wants to show his glory to them, but but he wants to use them to show his glory to the nations. God doesn't just save us to be saved. He saves us so that we would go and, and reflect his goodness and take all of the good news of his godness and his goodness to the world so that the nations would come and be gathered in. The gathering of God's people is central to the mission of God's people. And I wonder if many of us this afternoon could do with just a bit of a reminder of actually what's going on here as we gather. We're going to see three things as we journey through just the second half of Exodus chapter 19 of what is happening when God's people gather. So I'm going to read and then pray. We're going to pick up in chapter 19, verse 7. 
So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountains, the people and consecrated the people and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought all the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to the Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, go down and bring up, come up bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them, let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. Thank you for the truths that we've meditated on already. We've confessed and we've sung. We thank you for these words, specifically these words that we've read, that we've heard. Father, we pray that you would use your truth, the truth of your word this afternoon to change us. We believe that your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. So Father, we pray that in light of that truth, that you would transform us, conform us into the image of your son. Correct us if that needs be. Encourage us where that is needed. Delight us. Father, do what needs to be done. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. In Exodus chapter 19, we're introduced to the first gathering of God's people. This is the first church service that we read about in the Bible here. God's people coming together. When Moses writes in the book of Deuteronomy, which is kind of him looking back to, to the Exodus story, he calls this day in Exodus chapter 19 the day of assembly or the day of gathering. It's a time when God's people came together. And there are three things that I want us just to pull out as we work through this. Three things that happen when God's people gather together that we see at this first gathering. The first one is this, when God's people gather, God is present. God is present. Now that might seem like, well, yeah, of course, we know that. But, but I want us to really see what that means and how that affects us. See, the gathering of God's people isn't, it's not optional for God's people. 
So from chapter 19 all the way through to the end of the Exodus, this is what is going to be talked about. They're going to sit at the foot of Mount Sinai all the way through to the end of the Exodus. We're going to see what God's gathering looks like all the way through to the end of the Exodus, all the way through the book of Leviticus, all the way through to at least halfway through Numbers. It's God's people at the foot of Mount Sinai gathering in his presence. And I want to just really just encourage us this afternoon, folks, we can, we can land maybe on one end of the spectrum or, or hopefully somewhere in between when we think about this gathering, this 4 p.m. gathering when we come together on a Sunday afternoon. You know, we could try and be uber, uber holy and think, you know what, we just need to be out there meeting people and, and getting the gospel out to people. And, and this is just something that maybe we do when we've got time. Or we might think, do you know what, actually, I've got more important things to do on a Sunday afternoon. I don't, I don't really need to be with God's people. As long as I've got a personal faith with Jesus, I can, I can do that anywhere. But that just doesn't seem to tally with how God communicates through his word. He literally gives the rest of this book over to the gathering of, of God's people. All of Leviticus over to the gathering of God's people. The gathering is significant. And firstly, we see its significance because God is here. Look down at verse 9 of chapter 19. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. God is present and in his presence as he is here in the gathering, he speaks. God speaks. He speaks to his people. And it seems that the whole of this gathering here that we see in Exodus 19 is built upon God's people hearing his voice. And and again, in, in Deuteronomy, when Moses is writing back, he talks about this experience being a time when God's people didn't just hear his voice as in, you know, maybe just reading something and, and hearing it that way. They heard the audible voice of God. Like, That should blow our minds. Like, what is that? Like, what does that sound like? But that is what they heard. Moses said they heard God's voice. In verse 16, we see there is a thick cloud that surrounds the mountain. There's thunder. There's lightning. There's the sound of loud trumpets. And I just, like, just picture that. There's no trumpets. But there's a sound of loud trumpets. Like, that's, and it's no wonder that they're terrified when they hear it. And within all of the noise, within all of the commotion, in verse 19, there's a conversation. Moses speaks to God and God answers. Folks, God is not silent. He speaks. He wants to speak. As we gather together, as we do every Sunday afternoon, he wants to speak to us. He isn't a silent God. He isn't a God who keeps truth to himself. He wants his truth to explode out across his people so we'd hear it. And that is what happens when we sit under the preached word, when we sing these songs, even when we feast at this meal, God is speaking to his people. And I wonder if one of the reasons why we find, because we do and we all do sometimes, one of the reasons that we find coming here on a Sunday afternoon difficult is because maybe we think that we're coming to a lecture or we're coming to a seminar. Neil or one of the guys is going to go up and going to speak or we're just going to sing some songs and it's just going to be this one way event where we're just going to hear truth. That isn't what God intends for his gathering at all. He wants to speak. He wants to hear from us and he wants to answer. God has saved us into a relationship which is two-way. Look at the end of verse 9. He speaks to us so that we would believe. Can I just say, folks, if you are... If you are struggling, if your week is a struggle, if you feel like you are walking through treacle, Monday to Saturday, and you're thinking about Sunday and you're thinking, oh, I just can't do with another, 
Another thing on the calendar. It's just, I need to rest. I need to recover. I need to, I need to process. If that is kind of what, what you're going through as a thought process as you're approaching Sunday. Can I just remind you, the reason that God wants to speak to us is because he wants us to believe. He wants to strengthen our faith. So when we feel at our weakest, the most important place for us to be is amongst God's people at his gathering, hearing his voice so he can build us up. Do not listen to those quiet whispers of the flesh, of the world, of the enemy who will tell you the thing that you need most on a Sunday afternoon is not to be here. It is not true. God is present and he wants to speak and he wants to build us up. He speaks and he wants to meet us. Verse 9, he says, I'm going to come to you. Verse 15, be ready by the third day because I'm going to come down to you. Verse 16, verse 17, on the third day, as God's people are standing at the foot of the mountain, God descends. In verse 20, the Lord came down. Let us never get used to the the crazy reality that God is here. And now we, we probably all know theologically that if we are Christians, we are indwelt by the Spirit. So wherever we go, there he is. But there is something, there is something different about when God's people gather together. There is a presence of God. It's not that he's any different. But it is that he works in a way when God's people gather together that he won't do when we're on our own. He saved us into a people. Right? He didn't save us as individuals. When we come here on four, at four o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, God is present here in a way that we will not experience when we are not together. As we sit under his preached word, as we feast at this table, he is present. Charles Spurgeon calls the gathering of God's people the dearest place on earth. I love that. And he's like, yeah, it's got imperfections. Yeah, there's so many problems with my church, but it is the dearest place place on it it is the one place in the universe that i want to be because god speaks and he meets us in a way that i can't experience on my own so i will do all that i can to be there and god's people gather he is there secondly we are there god's people are present that might seem like a bit of an obvious one you're here, of course, you're here, but, but we're here in a particular way. So your relationship with God and the relationship that you see between God and his people at Mount Sinai isn't, isn't a relationship where we just glibly wander into it. Like we have relationships with our friends and with our family and with our spouses that we can, we can just kind of wander into those relationships and not really think about, about what's going on or who they are or you know, what they've done. We can just kind of just stumble into those relationships, but that isn't a relationship that we have with God. Verse two that we saw last week of chapter 19, the Israelites are told to camp before the mountain. Camp before the mountain, God says to his people, which is an interesting expression. Because if you think of a mountain, there isn't really a before. Do you know what I mean? Like if you're describing a mountain, you wouldn't really say we're going to meet before the mountain or we're going to meet in front of them. It, it kind of doesn't, doesn't make sense. But what God is doing here is he's setting things up so that God's people would approach him in light of who he is. See, mountains don't have fronts, but thrones do. God is saying, set up camp before the mountain. Set up camp as if you are setting up camp before a throne. 
That is how God wants us to approach him, like we would approach a king or a queen, someone with great sovereignty. He wants us to approach him with reverence and with awe. Again, in Deuteronomy, as Moses is writing back, he talks about some of the people experience such, a, such an awesome presence of God in the gathering. And this is, this is where the pendulum swings too far, but they, they experience so much of the tangible presence of God, the awesome holiness of God, that they, they demand Moses to stop God speaking because they're so terrified of, of hearing God's voice. But at least they're seeing God for who he is. And they're approaching him in light of who he is. That's why in verse 16 we see that they tremble in God's presence. That isn't a surprise when you see what's before them. The mountain's covered in smoke, there's thunder, there's lightning, there's the trumpets. They've already seen the awesome power of God as he's moved against the Egyptians. Like They have a sense of who God is. They have a sense of his holiness. And so God says to Moses in verse 10, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments. In light of who I am, prepare yourselves, he says. In light of my holiness, cleanse yourselves, wash your garments. In verse 15, he says to the men, abstain from from sex, purify yourselves. In verse 12, he says to Moses, set limits around the mountain. They need to consecrate themselves. Consecrate comes from the same word as as holy. They're to to try by all their means to make themselves pure before they come into the presence of God. God is saying to his people, as you approach me in the gathering, consider yourselves and consider your actions. Consecrate yourselves. Set limits around the mountain. See, God does want to gather with his people, but he's also dangerously holy. I wonder again as we've come and we prepare to come here this afternoon. I wonder if the holiness of God has informed how you prepared to come here. I wonder if you thought about the character of God and him being present here as we gather together. And that has informed how you've walked in those doors this afternoon or prepared to be here this afternoon. I wonder if we ever give thought to what we're doing with our hands and our hearts on Saturday night or Sunday morning. Like for me, I know I can't eat anything too heavy on a Sunday night because I get up early on a Sunday morning and I know I just can't, I can't handle a kebab the night before because it, it's just going to drag my energy away from what I need to do. I know that I need a good night's sleep. I know that I won't be able to watch certain things because it's going to distract me from, from really inclining my heart towards, towards hearing God, towards listening to him. Preparation and preparing for the gathering of God's people starts before we arrive. We need to be intentional. We need to think. What are we doing with our hands and our hearts? Is the holiness of God informing our preparation for the gathering? And we're all wired differently. So some of those things might not be issues for you. You might be able to handle the kebab on a Saturday night and still turn up and, and that be not a problem for you. But I'm sure there are things that we need to think through and process and consider before we come. We need to prepare in light of who God is. And it's not just Saturday night, folks. It's not just Sunday morning. We need to build our weeks around this gathering. I'm sure all of us fall into the trap of thinking, and maybe it's because of our Greco-Roman calendars, the way we're set up Sundays, the last day of the week. I'm sure a lot of us fall into the trap of thinking, this is the last thing on the week. It's the last thing that I've got to do. 
And so it drops off a priority list. It's a thing that if we've got time, if we've got energy, we'll come to. And that isn't how it should be at all. If the gathering of God's people is what we think it is, if God is here in a way that he's not present and he's not active in our individual lives, then this is the centre point of our week. This is what we build our weeks around. We build our calendars around this time. We prioritise this time and other things get pushed out so we can make sure that we're here. When God's people gather, his people are present in a particular way. And then lastly, when God's people gather, the mediator is at work. So chapter 19, if you think back of how it was read, it's set up in a way to remind us of the holiness of God. We're also God's desire to commune with his people. God is holy, but he wants to be with his people. Now, from what we know of those things and what we know of ourselves, we know that those things, they kind of don't come cleanly together. God's holiness and humans don't really inhabit the same space comfortably because we're sinful sinners. That's why the people at the foot of the mountain are trembling. Like oil and water, they just can't seem to come together. God's purity, his sinlessness doesn't doesn't find compatibility with a sinful people. That's why they need a mediator. They need one who can ascend the hill of the Lord. Who is the one who can ascend the hill of the Lord here? Well, it's Moses and it's only Moses. He is the one who goes between God and the people. So you've got God's people at the foot of the mountain. God is tangibly present at the top of the mountain. And Moses is the one who goes between. And it's actually quite comical when you read it. Seven times Moses has to go up and down. Now, when we walked Mount Sinai, we were 23 and we were shattered when we got to the top. Like it took us hours and hours to get up there. It's a steep climb by the time you get to the top. Consider poor old Moses here. He must be in his 80s or something like that. Seven times he's going up and down this, mo- this mountain. The last time in verse 24 is the best. He gets up to the top of the mountain and God says, go back down and bring Aaron back up with you. <laughs> poor fella. And he goes down and he does what he's told. But actually we see something in that. Moses as a mediator. It's exhausting. Trying to be the go-between between God and the people, it's exhausting. Spiritually, physically, and emotionally, it's exhausting. Now Moses is trying his best to bring God's people and to, to have them experience some of the sweetness that we find in the presence of God. He, that's his role, to, to present God to the people and to present the people to God. That's what a mediator does. And so Moses is trying to bring some of that sweetness down so that people can enjoy it. And it's exhausting. It's tiring. And folks, we need to see that. If we are trying to tap in of all any of the sweetness that we find in the presence of God, outside of God, we will be exhausted. So think of what those things are. In the presence of God, we find rest. In the presence of God, we find peace. In the presence of God, we find true, unconditional love. And actually, in the world that we live in, we're all trying to find those things. We're all trying to find the things that satisfy us that can ultimately and only be found in the presence of God. And as we try and take hold of those things outside of God, they will exhaust us. We were out watching the footy match last night in a bar. The funniest bar I've ever been to in my life. We'll tell you later. And at halftime, I was at the bar getting a drink and there was a, an old boy there, a Liverpool fan. It was nil-nil. And I was asking him, okay, what do you think the chances are of getting the quadruple? 
And he's like, well, you know. And it started off a quite a lighthearted conversation and it quickly descended in a really intense conversation. He said, I hope we get it because two of my friends in the last six months have passed away. I promised them as they were dying that I would try my best to get Liverpool to win the quadruple. They were Liverpool fans. And it's funny thinking about it, but he was deadly serious. I could see as he was talking to me, he had this crushing weight on him that if they didn't get the quadruple, he was going to finish him off. He'd made this crazy commitment to his friends. He was going to be able to find them something, give them satisfaction, even though they had gone, that, that he just couldn't deliver. And inevitably, that's going to cripple him. So he's trying to take all the things that God has only intended for us to enjoy in his presence. And we're just clutching at straws. Trying to grasp the air. The only way that we can enjoy the peace, the satisfaction, the rest, the love that we so crave, that our souls crave more than anything, is to find those things in a mediator who is able to give them to us. And that mediator isn't Moses. Moses tries his hardest, but ultimately he cannot give the people what they need. In fact, as Moses reaches the top of the mountain, even he can't experience the full, beautiful presence of God. God is in a cloud. He can't experience it all in all of its beauty. And now here we are at Livingston Drive on Sunday afternoon. We're a long way from Sinai. We're thousands of years away from Exodus 19. But God is still the same. And so are we. God is still awesome in his holiness and we are still a sinful people. What has changed is the mediator. The Exodus 19 presents the problem of a holy God wanting to be with his people. But this side of the cross, it's a different story. Turn with me to the New Testament, to Hebrews chapter 12. The book of Hebrews, the writer is looking back to Exodus chapter 19. So the, the very occasion that we've heard there where God descends on the cloud, where he's present, where the people are filled with fear. Hebrews 12 verse 18, he describes that time like this. He says, you, those who live this side of the cross, you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire Darkness, gloom, a tempest, the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to him. That's how he sums up the Sinai experience. It's an experience of, of darkness, of gloom. Remember, God's people were begging Moses, please stop God talking. Like They just can't bear to be in his presence because they're so aware of their sinfulness and so aware of God's holiness. But this side of the cross, in light of the finished work of the cross... This is our experience of the gathering. Verse 22, he says, but you have come to Mount Zion. That's another word for heaven, for the place where God is now, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The writer is saying this side of the cross, we come to Zion, we come to the place where God is now, we come to heaven. 
And whereas Moses ascended through the clouds at Sinai to commune with God, we commune with God right now in a way that we are lifted to the heavens. As we are united to Christ, where he is, we are. And now Sinai, when we read it in Exodus 19, it's an awesome picture. Like, you just imagine being there with everything that's going on, the thunder, the lightning, the smoke, the audible sound of God. And as incredible as it sounds, the overriding feeling of God's people at that moment was fear and trembling. Because they didn't have a mediator like Christ. But this side of the cross, the gathering that is described for God's people in Hebrews 12, has a very, very different response. When we gather by faith, we come into the heavenly gathering. And the writer says this. When we gather... We are surrounded by thousands of angels and we are surrounded by all of God's people who have died and already gone to be with him. Did you read that? Innumerable angels and the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and Jesus is there as well. That is what happens when God's people gather. So let's just start for a second. He's not talking in metaphors here. This isn't allegory. This isn't simile. He is saying when God's people gather, that is what happens. Right now, as we are gathered to worship God, as we're hearing his word preached, as we sing together, as we come and feast at this table, we are literally worshiping with thousands of angels and all of the saints who have gone before us. And listen to how different the hearts of God's people are. Compared to Sinai. At Sinai, they were filled with fear. They were trembling. But in verse 22, he says, The gathering of God's people, this side of the cross, is a festal gathering. And some of us are thinking, What's a festal gathering? <laughs> festal is, think festive, think festival, think festivity. That's what festal means. It's It's a joy-filled gathering. It's an assembly. It's a gathering that is filled with joy. That's what the gathering of God's people is this side of the cross. It's not one of fear and trembling, hoping that God doesn't speak anymore because he's so holy and we're so sinful. The assembly this side of the cross, the gathering this side of the cross is a festal gathering. See, the difference between the two gatherings, Sinai and here this afternoon, The difference isn't God. The difference isn't us. The difference is the mediator. Christ makes the difference. Moses had to go up and down the mountain, up and down the mountain. And even when he got to the top, he couldn't be in the presence of God. Moses' role was limited. The writer of the Hebrew says, Jesus comes as a greater mediator. Jesus, who is fully God, who is fully man, perfectly represents both parties the eternal son of God who put on human flesh, who died for us, a human for a human, who rose for us, a human for a human, who is now at the right hand of God, a human for us as humans in the presence of God. We are present with him where he is. And in verse 24 of Hebrews 12, that is possible because we are covered by his blood. Specifically, we are covered by the cleansing power of his blood. We saw this at Passover, didn't we, a few weeks ago? The blood that Christ has shed on the cross has satisfied the justice of God. And so we can come into his presence, not with fear, but with joy.
love the last word that he gives there. He says his blood speaks a better word than Abel's. Remember who Abel was? He was the first human who was murdered. The Bible tells us Abel's blood cried out from the ground. It cried out injustice. It cried out revenge. Jesus' blood cries out over his people, forgiven and pardoned. That is who is here as we gather. That is who is present as we gather. That is who invites us in through the doors. Andy and Beth did a wonderful job this afternoon, didn't they? But really Jesus was the welcomer. He is the one who every week is on hospitality. And he knows what we've done. He knows how sinful our lives are. He knows how often we stumble this week. He knows, he knows how we're going to live this week. And he welcomes us in. And he welcomes us to come and eat again. That is who is present as we gather, folks. So why would we knock this off to be a, a priority lower than what, it, than what it is? This is the most important time of the week. So would we make it that? Now I know that when it gets to Sunday, a lot of us are exhausted. But can I remind you, if Jesus is here, and he has promised us, Matthew 11, to give us rest and this is where we need to be. Even when our bodies say no, this is where we need to be. And maybe as a last encouragement, maybe some of us, maybe some of us have a too, maybe our vision of God is too small. Maybe we need to see him afresh in his holiness. See who it is who is here. And come and conduct ourselves in light of who he is and what he's doing. We're going to share this meal together as we do. I'd love for us to turn to Psalm 24. We see this refrain throughout scripture. Of God being on his holy mountain. The presence of God being embodied in, in uh, these high places. And the problem of humanity being kept outside the presence of God because of our sinfulness. And David says this, he asks the question outright in Psalm 24 verse 3. Knowing that the presence of God is found in the hill of the Lord, he says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not lift up his soul to what is false. And does not swear deceitfully. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not lift up his soul. To what is false. And does not swear deceitfully. We are welcomed into the presence of the Lord. He welcomes us to his table if we are here this afternoon. The only way that we can be welcomed here is if that criteria is fulfilled. And we know how unclean we are. We know how sinful we are. And so the answer to the question is Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can ascend the hill of the Lord. Jesus is the only one who can bring us, bring his people into the presence of God. And that is what he does. Through Jesus, 
death on a cross, his resurrection from the grave, his ascension to be at the right hand of the Father. He has brought us into the presence of God, a place where we do not belong in our own efforts, in our own works. They prove that we don't belong there, that we shouldn't be there. If Christ's works say we are. That is where we are now, folks. So as we come and take this meal, our hearts need to be inclined towards Jesus, the greater mediator, the one who brings us in and continually, even now, is interceding for us. And so we come and take this meal and remember the work that had to be undertaken in order for that to be possible. Remember Jesus' death on the cross, his body which was broken for us. There's blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Before you come and take the meal, just take a moment, reflect on your week. Confess, repent of your sin. But guys, give God thanks for the finished work of the cross, for Jesus rising from the grave, for him opening up the way for you to come into the presence of God. In our own strength, we will be burnt up. By our own works, we would just have God's judgment poured out on us. Jesus has done all that was needed to be done. For our sins to be removed, for death to be defeated, and for us to be welcomed into the presence of God for all eternity.